Welcome back to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast with myself, Ren Walker. In this episode, we're speaking with Carl Betts around his latest piece of reflection around the patients, uh, the untaught piece of the quality improvement toolbox. So what I wanted to do is speak with Carl about his reflections on quality improvement and change management within the ambulance service. Carl is a quality improvement lead and paramedic based in Sheffield, working for the ambulance service uh, and has been a qualified paramedic for eight years and has a 10 year extensive period of expeditions across multiple continents. He's no stranger to the podcast. We've had Carl on recently talking about reframing clinical analysis within practice. So this piece he's recently written, written is titled Patience, the Untaught Piece of Quality Improvement Toolbox. And it's what we wanted to do is really just dig into some of the salient learning points uh, that Carl has mentioned within the piece. And then also just look at some of the uh, main domains of practice which he mentions, mainly around the different cadence of change around intervention and effect from clinical practice to quality improvements. Also look at the concept of curiosity and questioning the underlying systems that we operate in and see how we can make them better. And finally, what we wanted to do is examine the change cycle from an institutional perspective and how to reframe work when you step away from frontline operations. So Carl, welcome to the podcast. Good evening again, Owen. It's good to, uh, it's good to speak to you again. So Carl, could Likewise. you um, just unpack the um, synopsis of the article and sort of why you wrote it in the first place? Yeah, so I wrote the article purely simply because when I've been discussing quality improvement and uh, change management with colleagues, with friends, uh, with peers in other organisations, one of the underlying frustrations around change management within the NHS and within the ambulance service is the speed of things and how slow things can can happen for multiple reasons but it generally is a slow slow long slog and you've got to be in it for the for the long haul um that's not necessarily right it's not necessarily correct and it actually goes against some of the quality improvement methodology which is all about small scale change you know rapid test try it improve it do it again and just keep a cyclic change happening. However, we work within cultures that are in, ingrained within a cer certain work frame and that takes a lot longer to change than it does my personal ability. So I may have a lot of knowledge around how to make change happen, but I can only make the change happen if the organisation is ready for that change to happen. And what I found is that you need the patients because eventually the organization will be on board with that idea, but they might not be initially. And it's how you go and manage the situation between the first um, air of the, of the idea that you've got to the potential long drawn out episode before actually anything happens with it. And what you do in that timescale to me is, absolutely critical as to whether you're actually going to get this idea across the line anywhere um and i found that i was having these conversations all the time with people and actually some of the projects that i've worked on now they're coming to fruition they've come to fruition because i've been patient now it's been really hard for me because i'm not patient i'm anything but patient and it's something that i've had to teach myself however 
if you're not patient and you stamp your feet and you bang doors because things aren't happening, that just has a detrimental effect and you won't actually get the end point. Um, you've just got to be patient. So that was why I decided to put my thoughts down on paper, which is the typical way that I do things to try and iron, iron, iron my thought processes out and just send it out and see, see if it resonates with anybody. And actually, there's nothing new in it. It's just me ver voicing my thoughts that a lot of people think the same thing, but I've never really, never really noted it. I've never really written it down. It's a really interesting piece of reflection, actually, Carl. And what we'll do is try and attach it to the show notes so that people can read it in, in the fullness of its account. But just actually, one of the things that really spoke to me is just the appreciation of the underlying organisational understanding of change. Could you maybe speak to your understanding, your underlying organisational understanding that you've developed within change management away from the domain of clinical practice? Uh, yes, so I started my journey um, as a quality improvement fellow on an education pathway, and the reason why I started that journey, having obviously been offered the offered the appointment, is because I'm a questioner. Um, I do like to ask the question why. I do look at things and think, what on earth are we doing that for, and why are we do we keep doing this? Um, now, the difference between me and other people is, yes, I question it. But I also can't help coming up with alternatives and look for alternatives and think, well, actually, if this is garbage, why don't we change it? And one of the reasons why I really enjoyed my, my, my journey through the fellowship and now to where I am as a quality improvement lead within the organisation that I work for um, is the fact that I can now I can now harness my natural my natural thought ability. I don't have to put a lot of effort into into actually doing it because I'm just naturally a questioning person. Um, and through the organisation, while I've been doing it, I've I've had to learn how an organisation functions. And I think this is one of the critical points because if you want to make change happen, if the organisation isn't on board with it at that moment or you don't go through the correct steps to get that piece of work where you want it to get to, you can have a massive hindrance. And when you work for a big organization with um, multi-layers of directorates, multi-layers of governance, um, all of which are there for the right reasons, all of which are there to serve a purpose. However, if you don't actually understand how that process works and, and the, the journey you're gonna have to go through to get to get something through, you can just come under stumbling blocks. Now, I found lots of stumbling blocks because I didn't know that journey. However, I've learned that journey and I still get it wrong, you know, and that's all part of the fun. Um, but you have to have an understanding of the organisation before you can actually push things through. Um, and when I say push things through, it's not about just banging on doors all the time saying we need to change this we need to change this it's about convincing the organization that the organization needs to change the process um for the benefit of the organization uh, it's not just my opinion i've got something to back my opinion up with figures with stats because uh, we all have a bit of statistical data don't we just to, to prove the point um so yeah so a big part of it is understanding your organization and understanding where your organization lies uh, 
within its within its improvement uh, journey. You know, if it's a really new journey for the organization and it's a big organization, it's always going to be slow and it's always going to have barriers and you're always going to have difficulties until you get X number of percentage of the organization having an understanding and a buy-in to the whatever methodology you're choosing to utilize. Um you're always going to have that them that, that slower pace, but actually, as an organisation's volume of quality improvement knowledge grows, well, then you'd like to think that that speed would actually speed up because the cultural change is there. Now, that doesn't change overnight. You know, for a big organisation, it could be ten years, it could be fifteen years, um, and that's where you're playing the long game of it. Um, however, what you've got to try and do is just try and get some small scale wins. So people can see them small scale wins. When they see the small scale wins, they talk about the small scale wins and then you get that ripple effect throughout the organization. Um, and that's that's the journey that I'm currently on, trying to get that ripple effect out with all with my with my other colleagues. So you make a few really interesting points there, Carl, around sort of the response and immediate effect that we see as clinicians versus uh, and with immediate feedback as well versus the sort of cadence of feedback um, with quality improvement being probably a lot longer, but also the response and effect being a lot longer as well. Could you speak to how you've realigned your perspectives in that way? Because opening an airway and sort of saving a life is 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 very much response and effect immediate but you've you've clearly had to realign your perspectives when seeing the reciprocation of feedback so it's all about which hat you're wearing effectively when i'm out on frontline duties if i'm on my you know as a lone responder on my on, on the rapid response vehicle which is what I, I normally work on um when i am on clinical duties that is a very different hat to my quality improvement lead hat. However, because I'm naturally a questioner, while I am in my clinical duties, I will be looking at things and questioning why we're doing them. You know, if I'm trying to make a referral and the referral pathway is just an absolute, you know, block after block after block after block, well, then I will question hang on a minute, why is this pathway like this? Does everybody else have the problem with this pathway? And if they do, well, let's have a look at it and let's try and sort it out. But I might be one of the the few people who've actually turned around and said, it's not working this pathway. So therefore we need to do it. Um, However, like you say, one of the reasons why I started my career in emergency, you know, emergency medicine on the frontline ambulance is because I am quite impatient I like to get things done. I like to see it, sort it out, move on. Um, and that's because I'm a quite hands-on person, really. Um, and very quickly, when I took that sort of brain thought method into quality improvement work, I soon realised that, hang on a minute, it's not gonna, it, this isn't going to happen. You've got you've to change something. Um, and that's then when I tried to, over a couple of years, try to reframe my thought processes that actually this isn't going to be an instant win. This is going to be a slow burner. But actually, if you believe in what you're doing and you have huge faith in the idea you're, or the process you're trying to change needs changing, 
well then if you've got that desire and you've got that belief and you've got that patience well then the time will come eventually um it's just when the organization wants that change to happen um and it's all about how much desire you've got for it uh and i'm a bit dog with a bone type thing that if i've got something that i want to sort out I'll, I'll i'll keep going and i'll keep going until we get it sorted or until we get to a point where there is clearly uh you know this isn't going to happen um so yeah so it's very much a different hat and it's which hat you want to wear but if i'm clinical it's my clinical hat with a bit of quality improvement whereas if it's quality improvement it's a quality improvement hat with a bit of clinical thinking in the background so Carl, you've mentioned it's really healthy to have a mindset of questioning why, and I firmly believe that's the case actually, because there's always incremental improvement that we can make uh, within the workspace. But could you maybe speak to some of the exa- examples of sort of embedding change that you've you've made? I realised that you were embedding Schwartz rounds uh, and, and trying to bring Schwartz rounds into, into into practice, which is maybe a fantastic example you could speak to. But also maybe even around some care pathways that you've you've tried to maybe shorten or uh, or, or make more efficient so that clinicians can use them more readily. So in terms of the care pathways, I, I've not been on any improvement work around care pathways it's, uh, it's itself however just because a person isn't directly involved with the care pathway process improvement the fact that somebody has made a telephone call to say there is a real concern around this pathway this pathway then that could be the um, so in the organization that I work in, we've got a specialist pathways team. And for me, if somebody raises a, an alarm or raises a concern around a pathway, if they're wanting to change that and not quite sure how to change it uh, and not quite sure how they want to measure it or not quite sure how they can say, OK, how can we make this change? What is the root cause of the problem? Well, then it will be the quality improvement team as such who they can lean on to say, can we have some guidance around around this piece of work? Um, and it's that team-based sort of w- working approach. And in terms of the Schwartz round, it's very, very new to the organisation that, that I work in there. They, they have been ran a few times before, um, but it's not what we will class as um, business as usual. It's not classed as a, a really regular, regular occurrence. Um, and with the the issues around mental health for frontline ambulance staff. As a peer group to look after each other, it's got to be a, it's got to be a, 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 you know, a huge bonus. However, what we have to do is understand whether the change that we've made by implementing Schwartz rounds is actually a positive um, it's not just a case of putting them in and going with it it's the importance of measuring the fact that actually we are getting positive outcomes with this which is generally around sort of um, staff feedback around the, the rounds how useful they are um, are the rounds meeting the needs of the people who were who were utilizing them and that's where a, a my mindset with my quality improvement hat on is maybe slightly different to others because we have to have a real 
rationale for what we're doing. We have to be trying to, you know, aim for a root cause because otherwise if you just add something, you maybe it's just helping a symptom. You maybe it's just helping, you know, a part of the problem, but actually you're not, you know, you're not getting to the to the bud of the problem. Um and the Schwartz rounds is one part of a huge well-being journey that the organization that I work in is on. But any part that can help, even if it just helps one or two people, to me is a bit of a is a bit of a win. Uh because my colleagues are tired, eh? <laughs> I mean, that that's that's putting it politely. Um it's not pretty. Hospitals aren't pretty. Our demand isn't busy. It isn't pretty. Um, currently, there's not a lot of prettiness in frontline operations for ambulance staff at the minute. Um, and that is being acknowledged. Are we going to change anything rapidly that can that can change that whole problem? Well, it's not going to happen quickly, whatever it is. So we need to try and put things in place to try and help until the whole situation sorted out. And when I say the whole situation, I mean, it's the whole shebang, the whole healthcare system. Um, because it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just properly struggling at the minute. So Carl, you mentioned around realigning your, your perspectives on time horizons. And I certainly re- realized this when we started to embed mental health nurses within the control room and, and just the, the process of of writing proposals of of getting different um uh, different services in to uh, then propose mental health nurses to 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 be embedded within the ambulance service and it seems to, to be uh, there's a proliferation of that with the single point of care access model now within pre-hospital care where we we're starting to align all uh, uh, all the variety of healthcare professionals within the within the clinical hub, so that we're getting GPs, uh, we're getting end of life care specialists, we're getting mental health nurses, we're getting midwives, um, and and every, every every other allied and healthcare professional within point of care, within that single point of access. Could you maybe speak to how we bring other people on that journey? Because again, it's it's. It, from a frontline perspective, it, it might not be well known of all those incremental steps which which occurred in the background. But how, in your mind, do we get others on board to see how different the change process looks from a quality improvement perspective? Is there any is there any semblance of transparency or indeed of bringing other people on the journey that you can see in your mind that that helps? them understand the, the the intricacies and difficulties of change so when you when you're wanting to make any sort of change at all one of the key attributes that you've got to that you've got to get sorted straight away is to make sure that any stakeholder you think is going to be needed is going to be on board with it and the reason for that is i'm not a I'm not a GP. I'm not a mental health nurse. I'm not an end of life specialist. I'm not a, you know, I'm a, a, a paramedic and I'm a quality improvement um, lead. That That is what I am. That's my, that's my little bag. Now, there is no way that I should be making any change that impacts a end of life care specialist without an end of life care specialist input because 
I have absolutely no idea what their full scale of work is. I have no idea what their um, systems of work are. I have no idea what their process of work are. So therefore, how can I competently make any change when we don't actually know what change needs to be made? And this is where it's about having that multidisciplinary meeting that there's no, you know, we're all level, we're all in a playing field, we're all in a room, we've got a cup of tea, we've got some biscuits, we've got a problem that needs addressing, but we need to get to the root cause of the problem to make sure we're addressing the right thing. Once we know what the root cause of the problem is, then we can all start bashing our heads together to work out, well, actually, how is this pathway going to work? But one of the biggest things with any improvement work that I think people sometimes fail to manage is the way I utilise it, is you can get so driven in your direction of play because we're sorting this out. This is what we're doing. But actually, doesn't take into account any unintended consequences, doesn't put any what we call balancing measures in place because, yes, I may be nailing this plan that I've got, but actually I've just caused absolute merry mayhem for three people either side of me that because I haven't bothered to look at the potential un- um, unintended consequences, well, I've just made their life a nightmare. And actually, yes, the patient group that I'm looking at now, I might just have made a, made a difference, but I've just ruined another patient experience single-handedly. Um, and that is a piece of the quality improvement puzzle that I don't think sometimes gets enough emphasis because we are driven people where we're driving forward and actually we've got the blinkers on and sometimes we've got to take our blinkers off to see the real world, see what's around. And that comes in with whatever you do and whatever you implement. It doesn't stop there, you know, because you might have some data to say that, yes, there's a significant problem with this. We've now found a solution that we think, actually, this might, this might solve the problem. Let's do a little test. Let's try it. Let's measure it. You do your measures. You've got your balance of measures in place as well to make sure that you've got no intended consequences. And actually, you find that you have, but because you've done a small trial and you've seen it, you can go, right, okay, we need to reevaluate this, reevaluate it, make another change, another step change, right, run it again. Let's see, right, that now unintended consequence is gone because we've, we've pushed it out the system in the process that we've used. But that's because you're assessing, evaluating, constantly looking at the process that you're doing to see if actually the change that you've made is a positive. And I think in healthcare, sometimes, historically, we've had this attitude that, right, we need to change this. There you go. Have it. We've changed it. And then a few weeks down the line, there's absolutely chaos. Um, You're then trying to retract the change that you've made, which then, in terms of staff confidence, in terms of um, organisational confidence, you've then had a knock, you know, and it takes time to rebuild that. So if we're on a cultural journey, any knock we get because of an incorrect implemented system or process change, it then takes you even longer to climb that cultural change. Um, and some some lessons you learn are hard lessons. Um, I think every healthcare organisation will put their hand up and say they've implemented change badly at some point. You just hope they'd learn from it. So, Carl, just looking at some of the institutional pushback you've had and sort of resilience to change, could you maybe just flesh out how you've how you have navigated that and 
and or and or accepted it because I think there's probably a certain degree of acceptance you've had to uh, you've had to initiate with uh, with change. Yeah, in terms of pushback, I think I think we've got to be careful about the terminology sort of pushback because pushback can be quite a sort of quite a negative mindset to I've come with a problem now you just go away we're not having it that to me is what I see as pushback um however what you sometimes have is the organization or organizations can't quite see what you can see for whatever reason whether it's because of the way I've presented it the data that I've offered um and you may get you may get a lot of questions. I hope you get a lot of questions as to you know why do we need to do this? Um, what's the rationale for it? Has anything been done before like this? Um, it may well be down to money. You know, at the end of the day, ambulance services only have a finite pot of money. Um, we also have to work within certain parameters for certain parts of the organisation. You know, computer systems, for instance, we might be limited to what we can utilise, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and sometimes my knowledge of the deeper world may well not be enough to understand why the idea that I'm proposing can't be utilised. And it might be that it might not be able to be utilised at that point, but in the future, it may be. So if I'm talking about some, you know, something to do with IT, a technological change, an IT change, the organisation may well not be ready for that at that time because it may be too new. It may well not have had enough um, external um, external evidence or external evaluation, but actually, in five years' time, when technology moves forward into the the normal masses, that idea that I've got may well just be a normal everyday thing, and therefore you can bring it back to the table. Um, and that's why, in my piece, I talk about the organisation being ready. You know, it might not be it might not be on a natural pushback that you're seeing but the organisation just isn't actually ready for the idea that you've got. Um, and that's where the patient comes in, because if you really believe that this idea that you've got really is a potential game changer, it doesn't have to be massive, it doesn't have to be a huge you know, whirlwind thing, it can just be a, a, a small-scale change. But if the organisation is not ready for it, no matter what you do, the organisation is not ready for it. You can bang, crash, shout and scream as much as you want, but you're not going to change it. However, if you don't burn the bridges, you say, thank you very much, no worries, and you put it in your little pile of, um, let's sit on this. In time, it'll come back round. And when it comes back round, you can just be there and you can say, oh, yeah, can you remember this project? It's probably a good time now. And start looking at it again. So we made the analogy earlier of there being an immediate um, stimulus and response to clinical practice. But I think looking at it from a different lens, actually, even in clinical practice, it takes time to embed change from empirical literature, from a breadth of literature and evidence into, into practice. So I guess I'm under no illusion there is still a slow cadence of, of change from clinical practice in, in that regard. Could you maybe speak to something that you've 
engage with within uh, within quality improvement around level of detail and level of detail which is needed for change at institutional level versus clinical uh, level yeah so, so with, within like you say with any clinical changes clinical changes there's actually already a well-proven um system in place for for clinical change in the fact that it's generally peer-reviewed evidence it's you know it's been trialed in multiple disciplines um before it generally gets to the ambulance service in terms of um what i would class as frontline non-specialist ambulance work um so that process is very much i think um i think it's embedded and i think you'd struggle to change the speed and the rapidity and the, and the rapidity of that sort of thing because that's research trials you know with a drug you can't just say you know what let's do a three-month trial with this drug that we don't really know much about and see what happens you know because you know ethically it's a it would never happen um it would just be wrong to do it full stop. Whereas if we're talking about system and process changes, it is potentially easier than changing sort of drug doses, drug types, specific equipment types. Because um, if we were, say, going to change, we're going to change it an airway. We're not going to, we're not going to use IGL. We're going to use something else. Um that wouldn't just be a single ambulance service that would do that research to find out which piece of equipment to do. It would be generally a, a you know, a multi-focused ambulance approach. Um, and the clinical side of things, I think already has a very good stringent process um, in place, which is safe. And whatever we do, it has to be safe because that's the number one, the number one priority. Whereas the things that I'm sort of interested in looking at are around the processes, around how we do things. You know, if I, to give you an example, at one hospital that I sometimes go to, we have to press a screen to say, I'm here. Now, when we walk into that particular building, the, the, the screen, when I walk in, is on one side on my right hand side but actually when i walk into the building the first place my eyes go is left because i want to have a look around the department and see how busy it is and, I, and we're chatting when we go in so an action needs to happen but the process for the action to happen hasn't been planned well because it doesn't make me do it i.e if that computer screen was on my left-hand side, when I look through that window, I would see that computer screen, which would jog my memory, which would make me press the buttons. So therefore, the process works for the person who's using it. Whereas if that process hasn't been mapped out, it hasn't been planned out, it hasn't been um, discussed with the people who will be doing it, you will end up with... A potential negative outcome and that negative outcome is we get delays pressing buttons because i'm looking the wrong way and it's simple things like that which if done properly can make a significant difference um but unless you come to these sorts of parties with that mindset 
you know, of following people around. Where do people walk? You know, how long does it take to get? We have X number of minutes to do X number of jobs, but it takes 10 minutes to get to the point of the corridor where we have to do it. But we've only got eight minutes to do it. Well, there you go. We need to do a change there, don't we? We need to do a process change. And that's where the difference is, I think, between clinical improvement and clinical change and organisational changes because the organisational change is all around about processes and systems and cultures. I mean, it's about having the deep understanding of how them processes and systems all interact with each other, link with each other and actually work. And it's amazing when you start thinking around processes and you start actually getting really deep into them where you see sort of stark, well, it's clearly not going to work this, but it's only because we've actually evaluated the process from absolute start to absolute finished and looked at every single point in that process. So on the back of that, Carl, could I just get you to speak to maybe how you've garnered satisfaction from your current position? Because it, the change cycles and feedback cycles are very different and the timelines and time horizons are very different. How have you changed your perspectives that you, that you sort of garner satisfaction from your current role? I think my perspective's changed purely simply because I now have a greater understanding of how organisational change occurs if you don't have that understanding you're going to get frustrated because you're not going to be able to see in your head why is this taking so long why is that and without that understanding you're never going to be able to reframe your mindset and I think if if you have sort of aspirations that you want to implement a change a large change say and your aspiration is, is you want it in six months you know, start start reframing that to eighteen, and and I think um, it's just much easier for your mindset to work in that way, and a lot less disappointing um, if you have that sort of mindset from the start. Now, I can speak from experience. I can speak because I, I, I know I've I've been in the quality improvement game now for for, for four years or so. Um, one of the big satisfactions I get out of it is being able to, when you see the culture of an organisation start to change and you've got senior leaders actively actively finding you out to come and have a chat about a problem that they can either envisage, they can either see uh, that's actively happening. It's a really, it's a really interesting and um, powerful sort of powerful thing to happen knowing that you are actually involved in sort of high level high level cultural cultural change here um and the fact that you're encouraged to spread your wings start looking at things and and also from an organizational point of view empower any grade no matter what grade it is within the organization to start being a part of a change journey as you get up the organisation and you get up the bandings, you naturally become further and further away from real world stuff. It's just a natural thing. You can't anybody, who's, or in my opinion, anybody who says that they're as well versed 
in in the realities of frontline work when you're not actually frontline work i think there's a massive you know disparity there and it's about like we talked about earlier on about getting the right people at the table you know if you're going to make a change that is going to impact a person you make sure that that person is at the table so if we are going to make a change that is going to impact our patient transport service you know you need the patient transport service at the table you need the patient transport service who know that their work inside out and back to front to come up with what they need to change what they need is hand holding and guiding in how to do it but it's not going to be me who comes up with the idea to change it it's going to be them because they're the ones who are the experts in their field and that is a role reversal that over time that is definitely starting in healthcare definitely the journey is definitely on the up and which is a massive positive but it's about empowering anybody to take part in their organizational change because it is their organization you know it's not the senior leadership team's organization it's everybody's organization so therefore we've all got a part to play in it some people have bigger parts than others some people are more interested in it so we'll actively play a bigger part i.e you know someone like myself is actively interested in quality improvement so i play bigger parts but we are doing something systemically wrong if i am not speaking to the professional who is doing that job day in day out to make the change that we need to make so carlos we're coming to land on the conversation could you just maybe speak to some take-home messages you'd like to confer to paramedic doctors and or nurses or anyone that's listening to this that might be thinking about venturing into the world of quality improvement? Uh, yeah, quality improvement and organisational change is absolutely for everybody who is involved in an organisation. Anybody who goes to work and has even the slightest gripe about the work that they're doing my answer to that and my question to that is what you're going to do about it. End of. And and this is where the organisation change and this is where the organisation framework needs to change is in the fact that by all means, come and let your frustrations out as much as you possibly can. Get it all out. But also come at me with a, do you reckon we could do it like this? Now, that could you do it like this may well not be the actual thing to do because you might not be at the root cause. You know, you, that, that thing might just be a symptom. However, the fact that somebody has had the ability to and the desire to think, how can we do this better, means that you're already getting to a better place because people are wanting to think about it. And you have to accept the fact that things are going to be slow. You know, you have to accept the fact that things may not go at the pace that you as a person want them to go at. And what I'd say to that is don't get disheartened and don't get frustrated. It's very easy to say don't get frustrated because I do get frustrated, but it's about keeping your frustration in check. Um, because if you have a strong enough belief in what you want to change and you can prove that what you want to change needs to be changed. Eventually, that change will come about, but you have to be aware it might not come about at the time when you want it. Because like I've said before, 
the organization will change when it's ready. And if it's not ready for that absolutely mind-blowing idea that you've just had, that you can prove that you can evidence, well, then it's not going to come in. And it's a case of accepting that, understanding that the organization's not ready for it and lay it to one side. But when you lay it to one side, you're not, you're not finishing it. What you're doing is laying it to one side, keeping your ear to the ear to the ground, keeping your eyes open and wait for that opportunity for when the organization is ready for it. And when it's ready for it, you're there, you've already got your paperwork, you've already got your story to go at, and then you can bring it back into the fold. And actually, it's massively satisfying when that happens um, because nothing's changed. Nothing's changed from you. Nothing's changed from the proposal that you're proposing or the project that you're thinking about working on. But what has changed is the is the organisation has grown, the organisation has changed, and the organisation may well be more receptive to organisational change. Um, so it's a case of hanging in there, believing in what you believe, and your time will come. Uh, that's a fantastic place to leave it, actually, and 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 just reframing that change cycle and those perspectives is is absolutely key. Um, so, listen, thank you, Carl. Thanks for your reflections. I, I find them hugely uh, beneficial and insightful. So, uh, thanks for your time today. No worries. Thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Carl. <laughs>